You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. I hope you've been enjoying the ongoing adventures of these peculiar brothers, Darl and Ben, as they seek to pay off a debt with lost treasure. What could go wrong? Well, quite a lot, as it turns out. They've just arrived at the lost temple of Raywin, a structure that none have ventured out from once entering. But the brothers have an ancient map inscribed with riddles that they hope will give them the clues they need to survive within the temple's forbidden walls. And now, we pick up the adventure at the threshold of the dreaded temple. What horrors await the brothers inside? It's Cascade Rock, Part 5. They stepped across the ancient stone to the arched opening and peered in with trepidation. The cavity within the monolith dropped steeply away from the threshold in a flight of narrow steps. But far from disappearing into inky shadows, a soft, multifaceted light illuminated the passage. Unlike flame, it glowed unwavering. They had never seen anything like it. Darl grunted. Looks like we didn't need that lamp you were so huffy about, he said. Then bristled, his brother's careless attitude toward so uncanny a development chafed him. Where's it coming from? Ben muttered. One way to find out, Darl said, stooping his neck slightly under the archway. Ben followed him into the pale, eerie light. After fewer than two dozen steps, they reached a landing, and the passage curved left. A carpet of moss grew in multicolored jigsaw patches on the walls and ceiling of the narrow passage. Huh, Darl intoned, stroking a blue-tinted patch that clung between a yellow one and a red one. It's like peat. Only... It glows then finished for him. Like, I don't know what. The brothers looked hard at each other. Ven's chest felt heavy with uncertainty. What terrible magic did this place possess? Was some horror luring them deeper into the dungeon with promise of light in a dark place? The chamber boomed suddenly with Darl's deep laughter. Ven scowled wide-eyed at him. 
What is wrong with you? You should see your face! Darl panted. You're so scared! The boss scared you! You're scared of a plant! I'm not scared of a plant, you oaf. Shh, Darl hissed. Did you hear that? They both fell silent. Darl looked over his shoulder down the passageway, then leaned into his brother. I think I heard the plant say it wants to eat you. <laughs> then shoved his brute of a brother fruitlessly. Just keep moving. The hall echoed again with Darl's laughter. Go on, Ben prodded. Since you're so unconcerned about this. Darl breathed a long, satisfied breath. He turned and trudged on. Come on! Their way sloped down. It turned left again at a right angle and continued to descend into the eerie half-light. Wait, Ben said as his brother moved on. What's that? Buried in the moss on the ceiling. Darl looked up. Several sharp points protruded from a bulge of peat overhead. He reached out and fingered the tips. Sharpened wood stakes. Some sort of trap, he said. Check the floor for a trigger. They found a cord of woven reeds running across the passage near the floor. Should we trigger it? Darl said. What? Why? Just step over it. What if we forget it's here? Then peeled a slash of moss from the wall, then another bisecting it to form an X. There, he said, I've marked the spot. They stepped over the tripwire and continued on, eyes darting nervously about for more traps. Ahead, they saw another landing. A passage lay open to the left of the landing. Light shone from within. We're here, Darl said with a smile and a jaunty raise of his eyebrows. It made Ven feel uneasy. They found themselves looking in on a large open room with a high flat ceiling. Here too, luminescent moss lit the setting in the full spectrum, albeit dimly. At the center of the chamber, a square pool, perhaps a dozen feet across, glowed blue-green. There looked to be a raft of rough-cut logs bound together with some crude, frayed rope floating upon the water. Beyond the pool, they could see an alcove in which stood a pedestal with a glass vessel set upon it. Weird, Darl said. Not what I expected. What did you expect? I don't know. Maybe, like, a statue of the goddess or something. It's a god. Says you. No, says the parsing of the noun Raywin. Now you're an expert. They stepped across the threshold into the chamber, chuckling. But their mirth abruptly ceased at the sharp pressure against their backs. A dozen figures had been pressed against the wall they had passed through and now surrounded and menaced them with stone-tipped spears. The assailants had alarming, abhorrent features. Slack, lipless mouths hung on broad, drooping faces. Long, 
thick whiskers pronged out from prodigious jowls. Their bulbous eyes bulged glossy black, and their skin shone gray and slick in the dim light. The smell of muddy water was on them. One such creature, who wore a headdress of fish bones, spat gurgling nonsense words at them. The brothers raised their hands defensively. What's the fishman saying? Darl whispered to his brother. He wants us to go over there. Why? I don't know. That's the way he's pointing. The spears poked them. They took a few steps towards the pool. As they neared it, they could see it too held luminous moss. A strange sort of water weed quivered just below the water's surface. Something about the way the green vines moved filled the brothers with unease. Are they going to push us in the water? Darl said. Why are you asking me? They could now see the water was very deep. The pool descended down in a narrow stone shaft. The weed filled most of the shaft, swaying, ever swaying. Darl cursed. There is no way I'm getting in that pool. He spun around, catching a prodding spear in his mighty hands and thrusting its butt into the chest of the fishman who held it, then simultaneously ducked and rolled. Sharp spear tips chased him, skipping, clanking, and sparking across the stone floor. A spear butt crashed into the back of Darl's knees. He faltered and nearly fell forward. Off balance and harried by half a dozen sharp edges, he stumbled backward. The brothers now stood with their heels against the edge of the pool, a phalanx pointed at their chests. The fishman with the bone headdress gurgled some horrific demand. The waterweed writhed behind them, without disturbing the water's surface. It occurred to Ven what exactly had unsettled him about the plants. There was no current in the water. The plants moved on their own accord. A spear tip pierced Ven. He felt it tear through his shirt and pop as it punctured the skin between two ribs. It was not a deep wound, but he reflexively took a step back. The toe of his boot splashed below the water. When he tried to draw his foot back, it held fast. He tripped forward. In an effort to avoid the spears, he allowed himself to fall to one knee. Now his leg was calf deep in the water. He felt something wrapping around his muscles, squeezing him. One fishman swung his spear at Ven's seated knee in an effort to off-balance him. But Darl kicked the weapon away with his boot. Though the brothers were determined to fight, the mortal outcome of this melee seemed certain. At that moment, a sound like a steel pinwheel spinning in the wind rang out from across the chamber and then suddenly ceased. A fishman fell forward into the pool with a shallow splat, a knife handle protruding from the back of his neck. For a handful of seconds, a shocked, motionless quiet filled the chamber. Let them go, came the low, threatening purr of Adracia's voice.
let out a string of heinous swears. The fishman chief spewed a wet cry and bedlam broke out again. The greater part of the fishman warriors broke off from the rest and charged Adracia. She received them with a short sword in one hand and a dagger in the other, parrying and striking back in a blur of steel and tousled jet black hair. Darl snatched up the spear from the fallen fishman. He thrust it deep into a warrior's chest, hoisting him into the air and swinging him into two others. Out of the corner of his eye, he could see his brother slip deeper into the water, his fingertips digging into the grout seam between bricks and the floor. With his assailant stumbling backward, Darl dropped down and caught his brother's hand just as Van lost grip. There's an hourglass on the pedestal over there, Van grunted. Darl pulled, but his brother stayed firmly waist-deep in the water. The grasping vines had wrapped around him, yet still did not rise above the waterline. He glanced at the pedestal, far out of reach. An hourglass did indeed sit upon it, mounted between two ornate wheels. In time, the waters recede, he said aloud. With his free hand, he caught an incoming spear and yanked it away from the warrior, wielding it, which sent the unhappy fishman toppling into the pool. Darl rotated the spear in his hand and threw it at the hourglass. It struck the top of the glass vessel, sending it spinning between the wheels. At that moment, a deep rumble echoed from somewhere within the stone structure. Water began pouring into the room from previously unnoticed grates in the walls, rushing in and flooding the floor. Adresha charged over to Darl's side, her sword red with viscera. What did you do? She cried. A stone just blocked our exit. Water poured into the pool, rapidly filling it to the brim. Darl could see the weed rising with the water, twisting and constricting around his brother's torso. The chieftain gurgled with glee and leapt to the raft floating on the surface of the water. That wasn't supposed to happen, Darl shot back at Adracia. The water's supposed to recede. Water covered the floor now, and vines were snaking out of the pool. Get to the raft, Van gasped. You're coming with me, Darl said, and adjusted his grip upon his brother's wrist. He leapt across the gap, bowling the chieftain into the overflowing pool. The water level was now at Adresia's ankles. She slashed at the weeds, then looked over at the brother struggling on the raft. She tilted her head to the side. Darl could see a curious expression on her face. She kicked at the water, then performed a remarkable standing jump. The raft swayed gently at her soft landing. Her voice was calm. There's a chain attached to the bottom of this thing. Darl gave her a pained look and clutched at his brother's wrist. She was searching around with her eyes. Kneeling down, she found the rope that bound the logs together. Some of it was coiled up at the center of the raft. From there, it connected to the four corners. She looked up, and a vague smile appeared on her lips. She snatched up the loose cord. The raft rose higher as the room filled with water. What are you doing? Darl cried. She ignored him and seemed to be watching the approaching ceiling. Suddenly, 
the raft shook as if the chain below had caught on something. At that, Adracia reached overhead and grasped a ring hanging from a chain on the ceiling. She looped the cord through the ring, pulled it tight, and tied it off. The raft began to sway as if lifted from the water. Darl looked down at his brother. The grasping vines were slipping away as the water receded. In moments, he held his brother hanging from the raft as it, in turn, hung in mid-air. He pulled him up, then flopped on his back, panting. A chain. Open the drain, he reasoned. And I'm holding it open with this rope, Adracia explained. Clever contraption. These fish people must have reconstructed it with their own crude materials, but I'd wager it's based on an older mechanism, now lost. Laying back, knees in the air, arms splayed as he caught his breath, Darl said, I think I saw a toilet that works like this once. The sound of stone grating against stone signaled that what had previously obstructed the chamber's exit had now rolled away. Well, that's a relief, Darl said, then sat up on the swaying platform. He touched the red blooming from his torso, where the spear had punctured him. Is it deep? Adracia asked, wiping her sword and sheathing it. Bemused, he studied her. Thank you. For your help. Don't thank her. Darl said. She's just going to drag me back to Redway. The platform swayed slightly as Adracia shifted her weight to peer over the edge. Looks like we've opened up the temple sanctuary, she said. What if you came with us, Ben said. We'd share the treasure with you. You can pick anything you like. I'd need the map, she said, resting her hand on the hilt of her sword. Of course. Ben said, if there's treasure enough, we'll disappear. You'll never hear from us again. Don't bother trying to negotiate with her, Darl groaned. She's the inescapable. She has a reputation to uphold. Adracia chewed her lip thoughtfully. Baron Redway likes to punish deserters personally, she said. But I think he can stand to be disappointed this once. Darl shot up, sending the platform swaying so that Adracia and Ven had to grab hold of the taut cords to keep from toppling. You're really going to let me go? In exchange for the map and first pick of any treasure. And if there's only enough for me, you boys are out of luck. Is that understood? Wait, Ven said pensively. What did you mean about Redway punishing deserters? I mean, your brother's a deserter, Adracia said. Then she leapt from the platform and landed in a graceful crouch upon the stone floor. Let's go, she called up to the brothers. They did not respond to her. Then looked, heavy-browed at Darl, who would not meet his furious gaze. How could you? Ben whispered. Darl stared at his knees and said nothing. You joined Redway's army. The Lord of Teeth. How could you? I don't know, Darl mumbled, then added with a shrug. The pay was good. You knew he was a marauder. Did you rob people? Darl took a heavy breath, 
That was part of the job. What's the big deal? We steal all the time. For survival, Darl, then exploded vitriolic. You know the difference. Don't pretend like you didn't know what you did was wrong. Our band spent the last year just scraping by, staying out of sight, staying out of trouble. We wintered in a burrow full of bones, lived off roots and grubs. Tolly's little girl almost died of a fever. Darl frowned. Ah, uh, the one with all the tails? Don't pretend to care now. I do care. While Mama and I were trying to prevent the band from starving to death, you were out there marauding with the very monster who was making life so hard for us. We had to move camps a dozen times, and everywhere we went, we were running from Redway. We were running from you. said nothing. I see, Ben muttered. He drew the map out of his wet coat pocket. And then you stole this from Redway. You didn't think it through, as usual. Didn't consider the trouble you'd cause for the rest of us. You just did what you wanted, and you called me here to save you, to solve the problem you caused, because you knew I would. Silence reigned in that damp chamber a long moment. Finally, Ven spoke again. Let's go find this treasure. But after that, I don't want to ever see you again. I'm done getting you out of trouble. You're just as bad as Redway. We are not brothers anymore. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Musical production help from McKinsey Stubbard. Consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more lies and half-truths.